Today's episode is brought to you by the Miami Book Fair International. Eight days each November and all year round with writing workshops, author events, and more. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm your host, Marva Hinton. Our guest today is Angela Flournoy. Her debut novel, The Turner House, was a National Book Award finalist, and Angela was a National Book Foundation 535 honoree for 2015. You can find out how to win a free signed hardcover copy of her book on our website, readmorepodcast.com. We caught up with Angela the night after she had given a reading with her five under 35 peers in Miami. We talked in this little deli slash bodega in downtown Miami, so you may hear the cash register or some customers in the background. Angela, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. The past year has been just a whirlwind for you with lots of awards and accolades. I mean, when you first decided you wanted to be a writer, is that what you sort of dreamed about? Is that what you thought success would be? I don't think I really thought about success as much as um, just finishing a project. (laughs) Um, So I've been wanting to be a writer for since I learned how to read, really. And um, I just thought about having actual books that were done. That's really as far as I ever, I think, took it. Well, how has your life changed since the Turner House was published? I have a lot more frequent flyer miles now. Um, I, um, it's been really great. There's things that sort of happen directly because of the book and then other things that are like ancillary things that happen as far as um, being able to like be asked to judge uh, various panels for residencies or fellowships and it's a great way to um, sort of make sure that you're helping other people also realize their dreams. And I've traveled a lot, though, with the book this past four months. I've traveled nearly every single weekend um, and the majority of most weeks. So there's also been a, a lot more time management uh, skills required of me than this time last year. Well, how has it affected your work? I mean, you said you have a lot of obligations now. Are you able to keep working on new projects or has it made you have to maybe take a little break so you can just market and and uh, do readings and that type of thing? Well, I never wrote every single day. Um, I'm not a writer who does that. I do that in sort of periods depending on how where I am in a project. So as far as how I feel about myself and my relationship to writing, um, it hasn't really changed because I have gone through periods of having less time because I had a lot of jobs um, to work before. And so, eh, in that sense, I'm confident that when things slow down, it'll be fine. So, throughout your novel, we see this large family with 13 kids, and it spans you know, 50 years as they struggle to make a life in Detroit, or in some cases move away and end up coming back. They have to contend with lots of changes in the neighborhood and the city at large, including the results of the economic collapse, which threatens the family's home in 2008. The New York Times review of the Turner House says your writing is reminiscent of Gabriel Garcia Marquez because of the number of characters and the fact that there is a supernatural element that plays a big role here. 
there's a ghost called a haint that torments Cha-Cha, the eldest of the Turner kids. Was Marquez an influence for you, or when you read something like that, do you think, oh, that's not what I was going for at all? Um, I'm generally, no matter what people say, the book reminds them of, unless I hate the writer, and I don't really hate writers, um, I'm usually like surprised and interested that um, someone has made that reference. That was one of the most exciting things about workshop is how people would say, oh, you're clearly doing this, you know, we're influenced by this person. And I maybe have never heard of that person, so that's exciting because that's sort of a new avenue to a way to see your own work sort of reflected or not reflected back to you. But in the case of Marquez, um, I certainly read and loved a lot of Mar um, Marquez, Garcia Marquez, when I was younger, and I still do. So um, I will, I will take it. Was writing this book in any way personal for you, just because of a family connection to Detroit where your father lived, or? Was it, you know, you just thought, oh, this will be interesting to write about. I'm not really thinking about it in terms of how it affected my family. Um, well, the, there are things that are similar um, as far as where in the neighborhood, like what neighborhood the house in my book is in and um, how many kids are in this family that are similar to my family. But a lot of things in the book. Um, there's a way that like fiction is self sort of generating when you start down a path you have to start making decisions and those decisions lead to more decisions before you know it the characters are not exactly how you thought they would be at all because they're a product of all the decisions they had to make to make the plot work and to make it all sort of go together um, and so in that respect I think it was it maybe began with like a grain of the personal but then it became sort of ways that I was just continuously interested in what was coming up out of the writing well, Detroit sort of functions as a character here in the novel, and I was wondering if you... Detroit is an interesting place in that it seems to have a lot of baggage and that people who've never even been there have all these opinions about it, and a lot of them are negative. Did you feel any pressure or a sense to provide maybe a more balanced view of the city? Um... Yeah, I think that um, a lot of what is portrayed about Detroit is not through the POV or with including the voices of the people who make up the bulk of the city. And, and so in that respect, um, whether it was balanced or good or bad, I just want it to be a blacker Detroit story because the city is black and most of the stories that come out of it, they may be about black people, but they are not really about the inner lives of black people. So... Well, you've also been praised for your ability to really get into the head of male characters and write them so well. How were you able to do that? I mean, you were right there, you know, with Cha-Cha, you know, his father Francis. What is it that made that, I guess it just came alive. What, what do you think it was that you did or was it people that you knew or just so much reading that you've done that made you be able to get in there and really present those characters so that they felt like real people. I actually talked about this last night um, at the uh, Miami Book Fair conversation. A gentleman asked me the same question. I don't think it's hard at all to write male characters. Um, the ideas and voices and thoughts and feelings and random impulses of men are all over society. We are given those messages when we walk down the street. Like I can 
read. I'm not saying that every man is stereotypically in that way, but it's like not hard to access a lot of um, what, if we're thinking of typically, like a male person might be thinking. I mean, I don't necessarily know how much somebody's gender influences some of the decisions they have to make on a character level in a book, but in the sense that they're like a, a heterosexual male of a certain age, those thoughts are really accessible. <laughs> you don't really even have to do any research. You can just like walk outside and they're just being shouted at you. Literally, if you live where I live in Brooklyn, they are literally being shouted at you. So I don't, I think it's much more of a challenge to present like a complex and nuanced um, examination of sort of what a woman is thinking and feeling and um, not that all women are the same, but that is something that the access points are not just everywhere. Well, what are you working on right now? Do you have any new projects underway? Um, I have a fellowship in the fall and for next year at the Coleman Center with the New York Public Library, which um, is based on um, what includes like a research component. So I hope to work a lot more on my next thing there. Here at Read More, we like to know how writers' lives have been shaped by reading. So can you tell me the first novel you ever read that resonated with you in a deep way and maybe changed the way that you saw yourself? The first? I don't know about the first ever. But I do remember I was a very big um, Narnia fan, pre-sort of movie, um, <laughs> movie magic Narnia. I was a very big C.S. Lewis uh, fan of it particularly those, um, that series anyway. So I do remember reading and rereading those. Well, if you couldn't read any new books and you could only read books you've already read in the past, uh, you could only read three of those, which three would you choose that you could just pour over, over and over again? Um... Probably Beloved, um, I don't know, um, maybe the Bible, I'm trying to get the most sort of like narrative bang for my buck, um, uh, and then I don't know. That's a good question. I would have to think about that. Okay, we'll come back to that when we wrap up, uh, before we wrap up. Well, on the flip side of that, you know, books that you would like to just pour over again and again and again, is there a well-known book that maybe you had trouble getting through or you did get through and at the end you figured out it just wasn't for you? I'm thinking of something that, you know, maybe most people would know and people say, oh, I love that, but for you it just didn't do it. Probably Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I haven't read it again. Maybe I read it again in college, but I just remember being like, I don't, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Is there a writer that you really enjoy reading, but you feel like the public and maybe even the media is just not giving the t attention that he or she deserves? 
Oh, absolutely. There's a writer. Um, she's from, coincidentally, the same place that I'm from, West Covina, California. Um, her name is Dana Johnson. She uh, won the Flannery O'Connor Prize, I think, in the late 90s, or early 2000s, for a collection called Break Any Woman Down. But she had a book that came out a few years ago called Elsewhere, California, which was just like an excellent sort of coming-of-age story about a certain sort of like black girl in a certain like period of time in like the 70s and 80s and, um, and 90s. And uh, she has a new collection coming out. I can't remember the title, but I hope that it gets more attention than her other books have. Well, I'm going to come back to you on those three books. Have you thought of another one that you would like to add? I have not. <laughs> uh, I'm a very indecisive person, so I probably won't be able to. I'm sorry. That's all right. What are you reading right now? Um, I'm actually rereading for third time, maybe, um, uh, Charles Mingus's autobiography, Beneath the Underdog, uh, for this essay that I've been trying to work on for a long time. Okay, well, Angela, I appreciate you taking the time out to talk to me. We are uh, in such an unusual space. It's a, it's a bodega slash like deli slash sit-down restaurant with menus. It's, it's very interesting. Can you get that in New York? They would not let you sit down. <laughs> you could probably get everything else except for the sit-down part. The real estate is too valuable. Okay, well, Angela Fornoy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to win a free signed hardcover of The Turner House, go to readmorepodcast.com. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast. And join us again in two weeks for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm your host, Marva Hinton, reminding you to read more. Thank you.